Middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond with Tommy Castor and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Some may say we are wildly unqualified. Some may say we're only mildly entertaining. I say we are exactly where we are supposed to be talking about an in-state Big 12 football championship on episode 108 of the Keeper of the Games. I am Blake Cripps, joined by Tommy Castor. You'll notice that we are a week late for our normal uh, audience and episode cadence. This is our last show for the 2022 calendar year. Tommy, you needed the week off last week, caught a little bit of the crud. It sounds like, and it looks like you are doing far, far better than you were a week ago tonight. Yeah, I'll tell you right now, the flu is no joke. And I, I've talked to some friends about this and um, anybody who's listening that has kids can probably relate. So I got the flu. My wife got the flu. My son got the flu. We all tested positive for influenza A. Um, and I feel like, and this is something, Blake, that I think that you've got an advantage on uh, me with, is that I used to feel like my immune system was so good before sure. I had kids. And <laughs> now with a kid, and I think it's because he's constantly coughing in my face, sneezing in my face, like all those things. Um, my immune system is not nearly as good as it used to be. So we all had the flu down for the count, feeling significantly better uh, and hopefully uh, sickness free for the rest of the season. That's my goal. Well, I think that I actually caught, I don't, it wasn't the flu because I only had a fever for like, three hours and it was only like 100.5 but I caught the crud around when I was working the KCAC volleyball tournament for Mm -hmm. the KCAC network and I was like man it was one of those situations where you know like there there was it was that and then there was also I think some substandard pizza that may have been issued by (laughs) a national pizza chain that did not go over so well and I was thinking you know Am I going to be able to make it driving to Hutchinson? Can I make it yeah. in the car that long? Yeah. If you know what I That's mean. Bad news. Not not yeah. great. There, there was there was a moment, um, and it would have been a week ago tonight um, that my it was probably when my fever got the highest, and I it got up to like one hundred three at one point. That's high. And I'm laying in bed, and I'm just drenched in sweat. And, and I had the chills, I could barely get out of bed and, and it just, it was not fun whatsoever. No. So, um, my, my PSA to, to the listeners is get your flu shot. We had our flu shots scheduled for like three days after we got the flu. Um, so didn't really pan out the way we wanted it to. So if you haven't gotten one already, go out and get that flu shot. Yeah. I actually just went in and they couldn't get me in, not because of people getting the flu shot, just because they were busy. Mine's scheduled sure. for Thursday. I have an appointment, so I yeah. will be back. Yeah. I get one every year Good. on the advice of my allergist of all people. So uh, last episode, episode 108, this is our last episode for 2022. We will be coming back, and our plan is to return the second week of January. So that will be the week of January the 8th. Obviously, that week we're going to have bowl games to talk about for KU and Kansas State. We're going to have a Chiefs playoff picture to talk about. 
should be some sort of clarity at that point what what the Chiefs are going to need to do to secure the top seed in the playoffs. We'll get to the Chiefs and uh, didn't exactly help that cause this past weekend on the field against the team that they apparently cannot beat for anything. We're also going to talk today on the show about Wichita State men's basketball being apparently unable to play offense. And obviously when we come back, we'll get into more of Jayhawk basketball, Wildcat basketball, Wichita State basketball. We've talked way more Wichita State basketball, I think, than the others just because, you know, we've actually had KU football to talk about that's been relevant this year, which has been great. So that's the plan. Like, share, and subscribe. That's always the same at cogsports.com, facebook.com, slash keeper of the games. And you can follow us at CogPod on Twitter, cogpod.podomatic.com for the audio. Videos on YouTube and our Facebook page. And of course, the audio is almost everywhere you'd want it to be. Stitcher, Spotify, so many other choices like share and subscribe we appreciate it very much but we will begin today with college football last week of course our big story would have been the sunflower showdown of course that was won by kansas state as ku at least looked like they deserved to be on the same field as kansas state as opposed to some other years but the wildcats took care of business 47 to 27 as the jayhawks despite all of their positives all of the things that they have taken a positive step in this year uh, the Jayhawk defense obviously is going to be, in my mind, concern number one for next season for Lance Leipold to get improved. But we have to begin today, of course, with Kansas State in the Big 12 championship game. In a game that it looked like they were going to blow it, they are able to hold on and the defense ends up bailing them out in overtime. They win it. The Big 12 championship, 31-28. to 28. I believe it is the school's second Big 12 championship, their first since 2012. And it is a game that will propel Kansas State into the New Year's Six for the first time in a while. And, well, you look back at the other two losses that they had, Tommy, and you're thinking, man, they were able to beat this TCU team that is in the college football playoff. It makes you wonder what might have been, what could have been, and probably what should have been. But boy, these Kansas State fans that have been waiting for a return to this stage, Kansas State in the top 10, and it feels like for Wildcat fans, I'm sure that this has been a long time coming. You have a quarterback that is playing extremely well, a defense that has been opportunistic. Will Howard has turned things around. Deuce Vaughn, of course, was amazing as he always is in the Big 12 championship game, rushing for 130 yards. Kansas State at one point in this game had a 21-7 lead. TCU came back. Max Duggan, we saw how badly he thrashed uh, KU earlier this year and what they did to T uh, to Kansas State earlier this year in the first matchup between those two teams. But Kansas State able to avenge their 38-28 loss and beat TCU in overtime in the Big 12 championship game. And I think for Kansas State fans, Tommy, this is going to feel like, you know what? We're not quite back to where we want to be in terms of contending for Big 12 championships, contending for national championships because they didn't win the regular season. But man, this is about as close as they have been since I would say Colin Klein was not calling the plays, but actually running the plays for Kansas State. This is absolutely a validation of Chris Kleiman and the, the program that he's building uh, at Kansas State and just what he has implemented in Manhattan. Uh, and that was a big question mark when he was hired. Not that he was necessarily knocked because he's had success uh, in the past, but the thought Humongous was, how success. do you... 
how do you follow a legend like Bill Snyder at Kansas State? And Chris Kleiman has set out to do things his way and build a program the way that he's wanted to, and it's resulted in a Big 12 championship. So hats off to the Wildcats. I feel like this program is getting to the point now where the expectations, it's okay for them to grow. Uh, and Agreed. I don't think that I don't think that it is um, irresponsible or the wrong thing to ask to now be thinking, is this a team that could win a national championship? Um, and, and really, this program, you take away the two lane loss, they would 100% be competing for a national championship. Or maybe you even lose to Tulane, but the system is what it's going to be in a couple of years when you've got 12 teams in a playoff. 12 Kansas teams, State would probably absolutely, in, yeah. It would absolutely be in, in a 12-team playoff. They might even be in, in an 18-team playoff uh, if, that's what, if that's what they decided to do in college football. So it certainly is a validation for this program um, and the, the talent and the skills uh, and the, the hard work that they've put in uh, in Manhattan. Uh, I absolutely believe that there are times, there have been years where in the big 12 championship game, you get two teams that may not be the top two teams in the conference. You may get one, like, you know, there have been years where Oklahoma has been head and shoulders above everybody else. They're typically a shoe in particularly um, when but we then, were in the divisional era of North and right, South that happened quite right. a bit. But then you've got maybe another team, and maybe there there could be an argument that could be made for maybe two or three teams to get that other spot. And are we getting the best two teams in the conference playing for a conference championship? Not this year. It is apparent. It was obvious that TCU and Kansas State are the two best teams in the conference, head and shoulders above everybody else. Cream of the crop, no other way around it. And so it was great to watch them square off again. Kansas State avenge their loss before, where remember, they took a three-touchdown lead the last time they played TCU, and TCU Mm. came back and won the game. Uh, And so it was great for Kansas State to be able to avenge that. Uh, but the, the losses that Kansas State had to Lane early in the season where they were still trying to figure out their offense, the questions were there, is Adrian Martinez even the right guy? Can he get it done? He and done then, of course, he goes down with an injury. Point. He was bad yeah. in that game. But then he goes down with an injury. Will Howard comes in, who looks significantly better than he oh, did a year huge. ago. Uh, they lose the game against TCU after building a three-score lead. And then they have an abysmal first half against Texas. And you take away that first half, they could have won that game too. So you could easily be talking about a Kansas State team undefeated and playing for a national championship. Sure. So I don't think that it's unfair for the Wildcat Nation to be thinking, hey, in the future, this could be a, a program that we look at perennially, not only competing for Big 12 championships, but potentially playing for a national championship. Well, you look at what the team has done over the years. It's been a while since they've been, in my mind, that kind of team. They had a brief flash when Bill Snyder came back for his second era. But you'll have to remember, even though Bill Snyder... 2.0, as they call it, he still was really good, won 62% of his games, was 51-37 and 37 in the Big 12, only had two 10-win seasons. He had the 10-3 and three team in 2011, and I thought his next best chance, of course, behind the, well, do we even want to mention the uh, 1998 team to Kansas State fans, uh, yeah. even though they only yeah. lost one game in 1999 as well, uh, and went on to win the Holiday Bowl. I think, in my mind, 
they were absolutely going to the national championship game in 1998 without a doubt. Um, you know, in 2012, that I thought that that loss to Baylor on the road, you've got Colin Klein. That's the only game they lost in the Big 12 that season. To me, they were going to the national championship game if they win that game, and they did not. It has been since the first era of Bill Snyder where he, you know, after they kind of turned things around, obviously it started out awful in the big eight, but it didn't take, I think it was, yeah, his fifth year, they won nine games and started that bull streak. And then once they flipped over to the big 12, you had four straight 11 win seasons. And in fact, they had six out of seven seasons with 11 wins. And you thought pretty much from 1998 to 2003, like, you know, this is a team that should be in the top 10 at some point this season. And if we don't play for a big 12 championship and win the North division, it's going to be a disappointing year. You know, like yeah. we, they got over the hump of Nebraska. Finally, they beat Big Brother. And then from that point, they were the cream of the crop in the Big 12 North, certainly. And then they were, you know, I mean, they finished. You look at their final rankings in the AP poll there in the 90s. Uh, from 96, 17, 7, 9, 6, 8, unranked in 2001, 6 and 13 before Bill Snyder fell off those last two years. Bill Snyder only had three teams ranked in the top 25 in his second era. It feels like now Chris Kleiman is about to ascend to that level where we're thinking, you know, this isn't like being in the top 25, which I think is what Kansas State expected last year, obviously did not get with a 4 to 5 Big 12 record. That's what they're getting this year. And I think now they're thinking, if I was a Kansas State fan, I'd be thinking, all right, well, we're probably going to be a preseason 10 to 15 team. Let's play our way in to that final top 10 spots at the end of the season. And, you know, we should be looking at the college football playoff show thinking, you know what? We got a shot to be in this thing. And the best way to continue that mentality, the best way for them to continue to gain the respect nationally is to knock off Alabama in the show. Oh, that would be uh, and that, I mean, that's that's where they're headed. And and I don't know the status. I was reading an article about this earlier. I don't know the status of all the top players at Alabama. Um, I would imagine Nick Saban's going to make sure that his guys play. Um, but I mean, they're they're out of the college football playoff, and you've got some guys that are probably going to declare or transfer or whatever, and might not play in that game. This but is not ultimately be the Texas Bowl with LSU last year. Right. I don't think it'll be like right. that at all. Uh, so I think that they've got that that chance to continue to grow um, the the national opinion of the Kansas State Wildcats um, with a victory against Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. And then you better believe Chris Kleiman and his staff will work the portal. And, you know, they, they are losing quite a bit. They're going to lose some explosive playmakers that are currently on this team in the offseason. And so, you know, they'll return Will Howard, and it looks like. And for all intents and purposes, um, you know, you would like to think that he'll pick up exactly where he left off this year with, uh, which was a, a stellar campaign coming in in relief of Adrian Martinez and then never giving the job up again. Um, so that that bodes well for the Wildcats, but it's going to be a matter of can they sustain the the, the progress, the growth, uh, where this program is moving towards. The other thing I want to mention, going back to the Big 12 championship game, is that this worked out exactly perfectly. Kansas State got their, their conference championship and it didn't hurt TCU in the process. It did not. TCU didn't fall out of the top four. In fact, they stayed pat at number three. 
and they're getting a chance to play for a national championship. Did they championship. get that TCU, right, College Football Playoff Committee? I think they did. I absolutely think that they did because the last thing I wanted to see was a team like Ohio State or even Alabama leapfrog TCU, and those two teams weren't good enough to play in their conference championship, so they sat at home, they didn't play, and then they leapfrogged a team like TCU. Didn't want to see that happen. And I think that also part of the reason, and I want to get your take on this too, I think part of the reason why... TCU didn't fall, and the, the, I think the selection committee even said as much, was the respect that the committee had for Kansas State. And sure. I was surprised to hear that. So the fact that the Kansas State was deemed a worthy enough opponent to not ding TCU for losing them in the conference championship speaks to the volume of where this Kansas State program is. Well, and, you know, if you are going to believe your own rankings, which you should— and you have Kansas State. What did Kansas State finish in the rankings? Are they like ninth or something Ten. right now? Ten. So, they're te- so if you're only if you're undefeated and your only loss, and I don't know what the strength of schedule is, but I know that in terms of college football playoff top twenty-five poll wins, TCU was very comparable to a lot of the other candidates that were not. Everybody knew. I think it was pretty obvious that Georgia and Michigan were. In automatically, even if they yeah. lost their conference championship games, I think they still both get in because they had just been that good this season. Georgia had been that good in, I mean, basically every game except for Kentucky. And I mean, in, in the Kentucky game, they didn't play well at all. But you never, like listening to that game, watching that game, you never had any doubt like, oh, Kentucky could come back and win this. Like Kentucky could maybe come back and make it close. And the Kentucky did, but you never thought that Georgia was losing. And and the and the win that Michigan had over Ohio State in the game, I mean, was incredibly impressive. Even though they weren't that good against Purdue in the Big Ten Championship game, that win, I mean, certainly cemented them as being the number two seed. So if you're going to believe your own rankings, and Kansas State's number 10, and they've been as high as number eight, and they're the only loss, then you better put TCU in over an Alabama team that's lost two games. And I know Nick Saban's going to come on and say, oh, well, you know, this is the best conference and uh, and all that junk, which I agree, it is the best conference. Maybe not this year. Big Ten got two teams in, and I don't think that Ohio State is undeserving. I I didn't hear anybody saying, oh, we got to have Tennessee in instead of Ohio State. I don't believe that. So, yeah, I think TCU is extremely deserving. The conference that comes out looking worst in all this, and I know this is outside of, you know, the keeper of the games, but, boy, the Pac-12, this is is a bad year for the old Pacific 12 conference, soon to be back to the Pac-10 conference. They've got – the Pac-12 has a lot of good teams, but they don't have any elite teams. I thought – I thought UC, uh, USC was probably the closest, and then they got blown out by by Utah in Horrible the championship game. Yeah, for so I mean, Although there's I think a lot Utah of Utah is a good team. Yeah, there's a lot. Of, like I said, a lot of good teams in that conference. A really good USC, team. UCLA, Oregon, Oregon State, Washington. Really good teams. Uh, Utah. There are really good teams in that conference. Not, there's not an elite team no, though. Not a great team at all. And I think that it would have been damaging to the credibility if they would have put. Ohio State in third and TCU fourth, I would have been okay with that. I do think that would be pretty freaking lame to have uh, Ohio State and Michigan play each other again. In the semifinal. That would have been really stupid and lame. So even if they would have even if they would have said, hey, you know what? 
TCU is actually the fourth best team. Ohio State is the third best team, but this is a television product. So we're going to seed TCU fourth, and they're going to play Michigan. And we're going to seed Ohio State third, but they're going to play Georgia because we're not dumb, and nobody wants yeah. to watch Michigan Ohio State two weeks after it just happened. I would have unless under, I it's been in a national championship. I will absolutely watch Michigan and Ohio State playing for a national championship. That That's be, the only place that it would have worked. That'll be a different animal. It is possible yeah. now, but you know, it's just like when they see the NCAA tournament, they don't have mm-hmm. conference foes meeting in the first round unless they absolutely have to. Like when the Big 12 got in, I think it happened once when they got like nine teams in or something. Like, sure, right. if you have to do it there, but they try to seed around it. So for, for Kansas the- State, you know, playing a legacy program, the best program over the last 10 years with Nick Saban in the best coach, the greatest coach, and Paul Bear Bryant fans, just like go have a bagel in the back and shut up, okay? This is the best coach that has ever coached in college football with the best program, the best fan base, going to be playing in SEC territory. There's no doubt in my mind Nick Saban wants to win this game. He cares about the New Year's Six. This is the effing Sugar Bowl. That has been synonymous with the SEC for 50 years. This is not LSU showing up to the Texas Bowl, and they are only there for tryouts for next season and to get their money and their TV exposure, and they don't care. Alabama wants to win the Sugar Bowl. And do I think that they may show up and say, Kansas State, poo-poo? That's possible. I think Kansas State's a a four-and-a-half-point dog right now, something like that. I think Alabama could easily win by 10, but I think – Kansas State has a chance to win. I think they have a chance to keep it close. And for me, the number one thing, and I'll leave this as the last thing for you, the number one thing I'm excited about to see in this game is Deuce Vaughn against this SEC defense. How will Kansas State be able to run the football? If Kansas State is able to get Deuce Vaughn loose, if the Deuce is loose and he can run for 120, get a couple scores against Alabama, that's going to make Kansas State, even if they lose by 10, it's going to make Kansas State look real good to say, you know what, we ran the ball for 150 on Alabama. So that's what I'm excited to see is Deuce Vaughn versus the Crimson Tide defense. To take it even a step further, if Deuce Vaughn is able to run against the Alabama defense, that's going to be a defense that is going to be most likely, most like a defense that he would see on Sundays. And so I think it's going to give a a really solid idea if Deuce Vaughn can take his game to the next level and be an effective NFL running back. And so I'm fascinated to see that. Um, The only other thing that I want to say about TCU uh, is that first off, I hope they win the whole damn thing. I would love to see a big team win a national championship. That'd be incredible. Um, he's not going to win the Heisman, but Max Duggan, uh, was incredible in that big 12 championship. Is he going to New York? Uh, yeah, he's a finalist. In fact, they, they, um, announced the finalists today. And so he's one of them. He's one of the four finalists along with, uh, Stetson Bennett from Georgia. Um, who else is in CJ Stroud from Ohio state and Caleb Williams from USC. It feels like if you're the Georgia quarterback, you're just going to win that award this year. Yeah. Right. So those are the, those are the four finalists, but that final drive, I want to, I got to tip my cap to Max Duggan, that final drive in regulation when TCU was driving down the field uh, to tie the game and Max Duggan put his team on his back and ran the ball multiple times, uh, took licks over and over and over again, 
ultimately scored on a quarterback keeper and was in the end zone on his hands and knees gasping for air because of the just the amount of running that he had just done. Uh, they asked the sideline reporter, and the sideline reporter said he had so many nicks and cuts and bruises all over his body. Um, just that's what football is all about. That's a Heisman moment right there. So, you know, hats off. Like I said, he's not going to win, but hats off to Max Duggan for that impressive display. Um, like I said, I think everything worked out perfectly. It was storybook. TCU gets a chance to play for a national championship, and the Kansas State Wildcats get their, their conference championship. It is going to be really, really weird to tune in for an 11 a.m. Sugar Bowl, but that is when it happens. New Year's Day, 11 a.m. on one of those ESPN networks for the Sugar Bowl against Alabama. And they will not be the only Big 12 team that goes bowling against the SEC. The University of Kansas Jayhawks end the season on a three-game losing streak. They lose six of seven to end the year, but on the strength of a top 25 win against Oklahoma State and a six and six win, a six and six record, five and zero start to the year, and a return to the top 25 for the first time in about a decade. The Kansas Jayhawks are bowling in the AutoZone Liberty Bowl in Memphis, Tennessee. They are taking on the Arkansas Razorbacks. Tommy certainly way faster than we ever thought possible. I don't think either one of us thought in our wildest dreams that KU would get to the top 25, that they would, you know, kind of annihilate and dominate a number 18 Oklahoma State team by 21 and play in a bowl game this early and really outside of the Texas game. Um, really were not dominated. Now their defense was completely overmatched against the Wildcats. There's no doubt about that. But pretty much we're in every single game until Texas and Kansas State, and they will be playing in a bowl game. Lance Leopold also gets a contract extension. We'll pay him $5 million a year. It's a five-year deal. It is contingent upon KU starting some sort of structural construction of an expansion to the square footage of the Anderson Family Football Complex or Memorial Stadium by, I think, December 15th of 2023, or else Lance Lapple can give the middle finger and walk away. But um, And it also requires KU to keep Lance Leopold's staff in the top half of Big 12 coaching staff salaries. But I think if you're a KU football fan, if you're Lance Leopold, if you're uh, Mr. Goff, the athletic director, um, you got to feel very, very good about where you are right now. And one word that I have not established and not connected with the KU football team since about 2008 has been stability. And I feel right now we have stability, we have hope, there's something to look forward to, and it's not just for the future, we got a game to look forward to on December 28th against the Razorbacks. Yeah, it's a testament to the commitment that Travis Goff and Chancellor Doug Gerard and the entire university is making uh, to Kansas football. Um, you're absolutely correct when you say stability. It's nice uh, in the first week of December to be talking about Kansas football in a positive light. And we're not doing uh, our season in review. This is when we right. do the season in review and right. we say, man, they well, Tommy, they sucked again. Well, and it's great because you've got, you know, typically this time of year, not only are you doing the review, but you're saying, 
All right, so here's what happened in basketball, and uh, by the way, football, blah blah blah. Um, it's nice to to not to have that to actually be able to I love have it. positive things to say about the program. Um, but yeah, I mean the the fact that they were able to get this contract done with with Lance Leipold, um, it's come out since that he was a legitimate contender for the job at Nebraska. Um, they ultimately went to Matt Rule, but that Leipold was a guy that they were considering sure. for that position, and so they were able to lock him up and. You know, it's it's one of the it's the old saying that um, a bird in hand is worth more than two in the bush. Uh, you've got your bird in hand right now in Absolutely. Lance Leipold, and so you could have, I suppose, rolled the dice and let him walk potentially. Uh, but then, where where do you go from there? Who else are you going to get? And who's going to be committed in the long term to build this program up? And I think that Coach Leipold and his staff, they realize that there's something brewing here with Kansas. If they can continue to raise the funds for a stadium and show that commitment to the facilities, they can handle the personnel part. They can handle getting the players there and being able to continue to develop the program from a, from a, a player perspective. Um, things are, are growing. And, and I think that I don't think that there's anybody on the planet uh, that would have looked at a six and six record at the beginning of the season and being bull eligible in Lance Leipold's second year on the job and thought that that would be possible. I certainly didn't. I thought they would win more than the over under at two and a half, but I was I'm thinking still they so might get, mad. they might get three. They might get three maybe, but I certainly didn't think six and six and bull eligible. And so, you know, I've heard like there are a handful of people that like grumble about the bowl that they're playing in. I don't care. They could have played in who's they played in whatever wouldn't matter whatever bowl that they got in. Doesn't matter at all. They made it to a bowl for the first time. Noodle chicken soup bowl. Who what the hell is that? Couldn't care less. Couldn't care less. Uh, and this is a this is a fun bowl game in Memphis. It's the Liberty Bowl. It's one of the more well-established bowls. Sure. And they're playing an SEC opponent in Arkansas. And so that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I mean, I, all in all, things continue to be pointing upwards for the Jayhawks. They did fall off a bit at the end of the regular season, but you cannot understate what an extra month of practice and oh. the added exposure that a bowl game will give a program like Kansas moving forward. This is going to, for recruits, I think, provide them and say, you know what, maybe this Kansas team is for real. Because you can, I mean, you if you want to be a Missouri Tiger fan and be too scared to play KU Boo. in the bowl game, but Soft. You know, not... According to Eli Drinkowitz, we'll play anybody. Well, I mean, right. you're not here, so uh, you're you playing know. Wake Forest and the Sasparilla. So if you want to be, you know, on your little keyboard there and say, "Well, KU, they didn't play anybody," and you know, all this garbage. Well, uh, here's the thing about you know KU. If you want to explain the way the five and zero and all this stuff, which you can easily do, not the hardest strength of schedule. At all. KU was impressive, but they fell down every game. KU's defense, as we talked about all year, was lackluster at best and kind of awful at worst. When you get recruits this winter, I'm sure they're already recruiting, and you say, this is my second year. Our top quarterback went down with an injury, and we beat number 18 Oklahoma State by uh, 21. We're going yeah. to a bowl game. It's my second year. Did you know, so by let, the way, me, that I've won like uh, seven national championships at D3? <laughs> did you know that? 
Did, did, did you know? Did you know that I did that? And that I basically everywhere that I go, I that I win. Did, did you did you realize that? And we're going to be on national TV. So this is the time to get in on the ground floor of KU football if you're a recruit. And I think that this platform that he'll have is the perfect place to showcase that. Well, it's not even the ground floor. I mean, the ground floor was when he took the job. Sure. Uh, they, they're, they're higher up than the ground floor right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. My question to you is you are on record multiple times over the course of this show saying that you don't care one lick about recruiting and commits and whoever until they actually suit up and play for the Jayhawks. Right. And I understand your rationale behind it then because it seemed like it didn't matter who the recruits were. The team was going to lose. The program was garbage. Do you care more now, like who they're bringing in on campus because of where this program is at? And, you know, if they're able, because like they, they got a five-star commit who is transferring into the program based off of the success that they sure. had this season. That seems more notable. Is, it, is that something you're going to be paying closer attention to now or care more about? So do you, would you like the long answer or the short answer? Um, I think for our listeners, sake, probably the short I'll answer. I'll give you the long answer anyway. Okay, uh, great. No. The answer is no. Okay. The reason is my attention is still focused on what happens. I don't care about KU basketball recruiting. I don't care about the Chiefs really free agent signing. I don't care about who the Royals bring in. Get a uniform on them, put them on the field, I'll watch, and then I'll care. Until then, it means nothing. You sign whoever you want. Now, do I care about the process? Because I know Weston is, you know, probably, you know, on the brink of suicide right now because, you know, he has every single note and he's got every single diagram about, you know, the four star, the three star, the two and a half star, the blue star, the, you know, the gold chip. All these guys, and that's fine if you want to get into that. You know, I totally understand that the process is important, and for the coaches, it is extremely important. And they've got ammunition to go to war with now with Kansas State, with these other Big 12 schools that they're going to be re recruiting against and getting guys. And the guys that they knocked down a peg in the Big 12 this year, you know, teams like Iowa State that kind of fell off the map, teams that are leaving the conference like Oklahoma, teams like Baylor, they've got some ammunition to go after some of these schools now and say, you know what, we went 3-6 and six in conference play our second year, so it's important for them. For me as a fan, I, I don't care. I just don't care. Show up. I'll be there September, whatever, the first day we play next year, and, and it will be great. And it's going to be great on December 28th at 4.30 on ESPN to be going. I, I'm already trying to get some friends together to go to a bar somewhere here in Wichita to and I I've never done this before. I'm I'm a very introverted person. I can watch a game at home. I don't care. I'm trying to get some people to go to a bar. Like man, let's go watch the KU game. This is this, this is something that I personally and I know you have as well. We've been waiting so long for this moment, and I am just ecstatic that it's here. And if we even if we lose by a thousand points. I will still be proud to wear my KU stuff the next day that says Kansas football, not this shirt, which is an Allen Fieldhouse shirt, to say Kansas football and proudly pro proclaim that, yeah, I'm a KU football fan. I've been here. I've been around through the good, the bad, the ugly, and the hell that we have been through. 
So, yeah, I, I could not be more excited about where this program is going. Any final yeah, thoughts the- for you on KU as we look ahead to the AutoZone Liberty Bowl against the backs? Yeah, I mean, it's the the next step in the right direction, and it's the direction that long-suffering Jayhawk fans have been waiting for for 15 long years. Long-suffering. Uh, and, and we're talking, we're not talking about, you know, a team that has been mediocre for a long time. We're not even talking about a team that has been really bad for a short period of time. For instance, uh, there's been a lot that's been made over the last couple of days of the one and only Deion Sanders going to Colorado, being the new coach there, and about how bad the Colorado program is. Okay, pump the brakes. You were 1-11 for one season. Like, I know they've been irrelevant for a while. They haven't been great for a while, but you were really bad for one season. Try 15 years. That's the (laughs) Kansas Jayhawks. Uh, And and so long-suffering is the word. And, you know, all of the, the, the guys that were brought in over the last 15 years to try to get it right from the Turner Gills to the Charlie Weisses to the David Beatty's to the Les Miles's to now to the Lance Leipold's. And the fact that he's been able to do what he's been able to do is remarkable in the short period of time. The fan base cares. The fan base is there. That's always been the stupidest knock I've always heard is that KU fans don't care about football. Just give them basketball season. It's bull crap. It's bull crap. KU cares about football. They've shown up. And, They've shown up for it. three sellouts at David Book Memorial Stadium. Uh, and I've been to a lot of games of that building when nobody's oh. there. Because why would you go? Yeah. The program has been absolutely Find abysmal. Find me a fan base that would show up and be like, yeah, we'll pack 30,000 in to see another winless team. Absolutely. Have you seen to get Tulsa blown play out by, this year? Yeah, get blown out by 50 against you know a Big 12 opponent? Yeah. Come on, give me a break. So the fan base is there. They're hungry. They're ready. They're excited. And the, I would like to think, I would hope, and my fingers are crossed, especially with the long-term contract now with Lance Leipold, that the future continues to be bright. Once again, we will have both bowl games covered, both the Liberty and the Sugar Bowl coming up for you here after we return from our Christmas and holiday break. We wrap up with our last topic today, the Wichita State Shocker men's basketball team. Losers of three of their last four. They dropped to four and four on the year. They have four games remaining before they open up their American Athletic Conference slate on December 28th at Central Florida. So when we come back, we will have something for you then uh, in terms of the Shockers as Wichita State starts to kind of get ready for American Athletic Conference play. Uh, Tommy, the last time that we played, uh, we were a little bit concerned about Wichita State. Since then, well, they've got a win over Tarleton State. I think maybe we were just on after the Richmond game, so they beat Grand Canyon. So, so far, we got a loss to San Francisco, an overtime loss to Missouri, and a five-point loss to Kansas State. As much as it pains me to admit it, Missouri is... Looks like they might be a pretty good team. They're starting to get some votes and some looks in the top 25, but to score 50 points in a game against Kansas State, you score just 63 on San Francisco, and you need it overtime to get into the 80s against Missouri. And I think Taylor Eldridge in one of his stories put out that they're averaging like 0.8 points per possession, which is terrible. Um, This is a shocker team that appears to be offensively challenged yet again. Can we start with the positive, though? The positive is that they play really good defense. They are a a gritty, scrappy defensive team. 
And if that's their identity, great. If that's what they want to do night in and night out, cool. And that's the way that they were a year ago. That's the way that they were a year ago. Um, They held Kansas State to 55 points. Yeah, they only scored 50, but they held (laughs) the Wildcats to 55 points. And this Wildcats team, they're becoming no slouch. Uh, Keontae Johnson looks to be one of the better players in the conference. And so, you know, the fact that the Shockers were able to hold the Wildcats to 55 is a testament. But you're right. The negative. They can't score. And what is so frustrating offensively with this team is that their offensive identity is to shoot the three. They can't. That's just what it is. But they can't do they it. Were a, and they were missed eleven of twelve against Kansas State. Like, but what I'm what I'm telling you is that that's their identity. That's what they want to be. You can't is a team that shoots. I'm telling you, you what they want to be. Shoot twenty percent from the three. I'm, and tell I'm me not you're a saying, three point shooting team. I'm not saying that's who they are. I'm saying that's who they want to be. I'm with you. They well, they shot it. four. They were four of twenty from beyond the arc, and eventually, like they shot it okay. I feel like from three in the first half, but they went ice cold in the second half, shooting from beyond the arc. And at some point, and this is my concern with Shocker basketball because we saw this a year ago. Their offense would disappear for stretches at a time and it's happening again this season my concern is that even if that's the identity that you want to have and even if that's what your players are are supposed to be doing if it's not working you've got to adjust you've got to do something else you've got to try to find another way to get the ball in the bucket I don't care if your team is set up to make the three I don't care if that's who your playmakers are and what they want to do and that's what you want your team to be you've got to make adjustments if the ball is not falling through the hoop and I've talked about it on on the radio sure. show it's it's crazy to me that you've got players that played for the Shocker program that have now transferred out and they're playing for other teams and they are lighting it up like it's across the board. Like guys like Noah Fernandez at Massachusetts and Ricky Council uh, and there, I mean the Grant Sherfield. The list goes on and on of these players that struggled at times shooting the basketball for uh, the Shockers. And then they go to their new school and they're all lighting it up. Then you bring in new guys and their goal is to shoot the basketball and they can't do it either. So something is going on offensively with this team where, you know, they were projected seventh in the American. Nothing has persuaded me to think that they can finish higher than that right now in the conference. I don't know if necessarily anything's persuaded me that they'll finish lower than that. But I'm not sure that that ceiling is super high. No, they, they're holding teams to 37% field goal shooting. They're holding teams to 25% three-point shooting. So your point that they're an elite defensive team, I think, is well-taken and well-deserved. They have had, you know, Isaac Brown was talking a lot about the turnover issues, and they have they're minus three in the turnover ratio. They're only turning it over 13 times, which is a little higher to be an elite team in college basketball. You'd love to be at 10 at that level. I think a lot of coaches at the D2 level and KCAC would say, man, just give me to 12 turnovers and I'll take that. But at that level, yeah, you would like to be closer to 10, but even with the minus three turnover differential, they're only getting score outscored in points off turnovers about by about a half a point. They have had some really untimely turnovers. I think it gets Kansas State. Isaac Brown said on his radio show today, as I listened to be yesterday, for those of you who are watching or listening, 
that I think they turned it over four out of the last five possessions against Kansas State. They, they just didn't get a shot. You can't win sustainably. And despite those numbers, like they are out shooting their opponents 43% to 37%. And some of that is distorted because they've played a couple of games against lower competition that they won and shot really well in. But for a team that's shooting the percentage of their field goals, 172 threes attempted for this team. They've taken 451 shots. So you're looking like about a third of their shots or so are three-pointers. They're hitting 28% of their three-pointers. 28%. That's bad. And so do something else. Well, do something else. And that's where we come into something we talked about in the last episode of the show. We have always been very, very pro Isaac Brown on this show. But if you are talking about an adjustment, that's on the coach to make, is it not? Uh, It is. Yes, it is. However, there is an argument to be made. That shooters got to shoot. I mean, right? there is. And that, and, and coach Isaac Brown can't control whether or not a ball goes in the bucket. Like if he's drawing up an offense that is running the way that it should, and all you're lacking is the actual shooter to make the shot. That's not on the coach. Okay. Like the coach can't control that. Second right. Point. Uh, I, I saw this on Twitter as well. Saying because I I think Taylor Eldridge actually pointed out on his Twitter. Shout out to Taylor. I'm just stealing all your research for the show today. Thanks for <laughs> nothing. Um, so, but the, he uh, the, he pointed out like the the Shockers have missed so many open threes this year. Yeah, which yeah. that is That's not the on the coach. Thing. Yeah. But right. somebody else commented down later in this thread. They were like, "Well, the coach is the one recruiting these guys who can't make open threes, right?" I'm like, but the, and the coach, the coach is also the one that when, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And so you can drop the most perfect play in the world and get wide open threes. And if you're only making 28% of your threes and you keep doing it, do something different, find another way to make it work. I mean, I get it that you're, you're trying to play to these guys strengths and maybe the strength on paper is to shoot an open three. I get it. But it's not working. The shots are not falling. The and they is, haven't been. And it's and it's not just a, oh, it happened for one game. Or, oh, this is a consistent thing that we're seeing throughout the early point of the season. And, you know, pretty soon you're going to get into conference play where that margin of error shrinks even smaller. Um, I, th- I think that the Shockers are at a point now, at least offensively, where you've got to start to try to at least thinking about what kind of adjustments you can make. I, you know, I the problem I think that Wichita State is going to have, I'm just having a cursory look back here. Kansas State, six fast break points. Missouri, they had seven fast break points. That's a game they scored 80 in. Now, they had 14 against Tarleton State, but Tarleton State is like, you know, they're almost still a Division II program. They're that new, so I don't really count that for anything. Against San Francisco, they had 15 fast break points. They outscored them 15-4. to And against Grand Canyon, where the Shockers only scored 55 points, only seven fast break points. This is not a team that has been able to get out in transition a lot. So if you're the opposing team, what's to stop you from just saying, you know what, we're playing with five guys inside the perimeter. Wichita State, something else that Isaac Brown said on his show, Wichita State, can't think of a big guy that I look at and say, man, I'm really scared of this guy. That's a five. 
I'm not sure we can match up with him. This is a four that really gives us problems. Like, I'm not seeing that out of Kenny Poto or Isaiah Poubert Chandler or these other guys. I mean, hell, Poto didn't even play in the last game, and Isaac Brown was kind of cryptic of, well, the guys pick who wants to play, and they determine their playing time, which kind of sounded like a shot of shot at Poto, and there was one other guy who didn't play who had played the most of the games and kind of saying, like, you know what, get your head out of your ass or else this is yeah. where you're going to be for the rest of the season, which does not reflect well on the team. So if you don't have a big guy inside, there's no Deze. Shaq Morris ain't walking through that door or some of these other big guys who have been really good for Wichita State over the years. You know, Carl Taylor not walking through that door. If you don't have a big guy inside, why wouldn't another team just say, you know what, we're going to play with five guys inside the arc. Everybody touches the paint. We are going to not fast break for the whole game. We're going to send five to the glass because Wichita State has been able to get second chance points rebounding in times this year. They had 16 against Grand Canyon, just one game I'm picking out of a out of a hat, and say, you know what? If we don't let them beat us on the fast break and we just eliminate second chance points, they're going to shoot 20% from the three-point line. We can shoot better than 20% from the three-point line and just win these close games against Wichita State and just make them, if you go on offense against Wichita State, say, you know what? We are going to only send three to the glass. We're getting two back every single time to shut off the fast break and make them play a half-court offense because right now, if you're playing Wichita State, I don't think you're scared of their half-court offense. So you make no. them run half-court offense and beat you. I don't think Wichita State can be successful. And when I mean successful, have a winning season in the American. Their half-court offense is just not good enough right now. Well, I think the other thing you do defensively if you're an opponent is you disrupt them in their half-court offense because uh, the Shockers are turning the ball over far too much. And and so they're not handling it super well. 16 um, so against I think Kansas that's State. That's part of the strategy, too, is they're just turning the ball over too much. And then, you know, defensively, if I'm a, um, you know, if I'm an opponent of Wichita State, I'm going to drop back also and just dare them to beat me with a three. They haven't yeah. shown that they can do it so far. So might as well just lift it, let them shoot it. They're going to try to run plays to get open threes anyway, and they're not going to adjust. Just let them have it and let them miss it and let them beat you that way. You know how many so, times that they have uh, shot this year over 33% from the three? Once, once maybe. Missouri, they shot 41%, 12 of 29. They shot 33% exactly against San Francisco. In all the other games, they are below 30%, and they've been 20% or below twice. So you are correct. This is They had a little three-game stretch there from San Francisco to Tarleton to Missouri where they were over 30%. And there's no other stretch of games this season that they have shot over 30%, not one. Yeah, uh, the the adjustments have to be there. Um, if if they are planning on finishing in the top half of the American Conference, if they want any shot, and I think it's going to be a slim chance at this point, but any shot of even remotely being considered for the NCAA tournament, they've got to make those adjustments offensively right now. They can win. Defensively, they absolutely can. They're they're one of the best defensive teams in the conference, in my opinion, right now. But they have got to figure it out offensively. Boy, I feel like uh, if we had the sound bites up, you know that Jim Mora thing that says playoffs, playoffs, NCAA <laughs> tournament. Like you better yeah. be thinking. I hope well, we that's make why the I NIT said right now. Like I don't think that it's. I don't think that it's. Um, 
impossible at this point. They're four and four, right? Like you can turn things around at this point. Yeah, sure. You went out. Sure. Yeah. But you've got to make those adjustments now. Yeah. Uh, Wichita State is next in action. They've got a week-long break. I think it's finals week at, at Wichita State, so they are off for finals week. They've got the Teddy Bear Toss coming up against Longwood. The Lancers coming in. I have no idea where Longwood is from, but they're going to play Wichita State at Charles Cook Arena at 3 o'clock on Saturday the 10th, and that game will be on the plus on ESPN Plus 3 o'clock on Saturday. Mississippi Valley State, Oklahoma State, and Texas Southern. That Oklahoma State game is the Interest Bank Arena game on December 17th. And then the conference opener is December 28th. They play again on New Year's Eve against East Carolina. Those two games, uh, first one will be in Orlando. Second one will be in Wichita. So that is where that goes. I think I said that was the last the last thing. Uh, we did have actually one other thing that we wanted to discuss, of course, and that would be Longwood out of the Big South, by by the way, former Winthrop Conference opponent. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs five-game winning streak snapped 9-3. Their hold on the number one seed in the AFC and home field advantage throughout the playoffs now out of their control as the Buffalo Bills are in the driver's seat once again for the number one seed after a 27-24 loss at the Cincinnati Bengals, a team that has now beaten Kansas City three times in the last calendar year. It was the worst defensive performance statistically that the Chiefs have had this season. The Chiefs giving up 431 yards, third most this season, and unable to get off the field with any kind of regularity. The offense statistically or sabermetrically had a good had a good game, but a soul-crushing fumble by Travis Kelsey late when it appeared the Chiefs were driving and getting set to put it on ice and another blown lead late against the Bengals and uh, apparently this uh this this quarterback that they have is just going to own the soul of uh Patrick Mahomes it would appear and uh, I'm glad that this didn't happen in the playoffs Obviously, big win since we last saw you over the Chargers. They beat the Rams. They've almost clinched the AFC West. So let's not just say that the sky is falling. They have won five of the last six games. But uh, another disappointing loss against a Cincinnati team that is proving that they could be a contender. And Joe Burrow, I think, is kind of starting to insert himself into some MVP consideration after that victory. Yeah, I think Joe Burrow uh, should at least be in the conversation as one of the top tier quarterbacks in the league. And he's I feel like he's kind close. of been he's kind of been in that next tier down. Like I think it's Mahomes and Allen, and then you talk about Burrow and Herbert and you know Lamar Jackson and guys like that. Uh, but I think Burrow is right up there as one of the top quarterbacks uh, in the league. And with the talent that he has around him, I mean the the Bengals have. I said this on the radio today. The Bengals have three wide receivers that are capable of being a number one receiver on any team in the NFL right now. And they've got three of them on one team in Jamar Chase, T Higgins and Tyler Boyd. Then they've got Hayden Hurst who did go down with an injury, but he's a, a really good tight end. They didn't even have Joe Mixon running the football. It was Samaj P. Ryan running the football for the Bengals. And he, all they did was run for over a hundred yards. So offensively, uh, they've got weapons and then they played a really good game defensively, really confused Patrick Mahomes, um, multiple times. And so the Bengals have the chiefs number right now. I've seen this movie before this happened a year ago where the Bengals got off to a slow start, beat the chiefs in the regular season, went into the playoffs, won an AFC championship game over the chiefs and represented the conference in the super bowl. 
And really, the team is largely the same right now. I, I mean, outside of a, a rebuilt offensive line that is, I think, just maybe marginally better than the offensive line that just got torn up in the Super Bowl last year. Um, the, the team is basically the same right now. They've got a ton of weapons, so credit to them. On the Chiefs side of the ball, though, there are real concerns defensively for Kansas City. Sure. I'm not concerned, really. For the rest of the regular season, Kansas City has the easiest schedule remaining in the NFL. So I'm not really concerned for the regular season, but I am concerned that more than likely you're going to have to face either Buffalo or Cincinnati, maybe both of them at some point in the playoffs. And both of those teams have beat Kansas City. And in both of those games, the defense was kind of exposed. And especially the secondary, kind of exposed. Uh, Part of the big issue defensively for Kansas City on Sunday against Cincinnati, they couldn't tackle. Uh, Samaj P. Ryan got extra yards. Jamar Chase got extra yards. Seemed like there were multiple times that the defense couldn't tackle. And they could not get to Joe Burrow. And that's been kind of a recipe. That's kind of the, it's not an ideal way, but it's probably the best way to attack the Bengals is by sending pressure and sacking Joe Burrow against that poor offensive line. And that didn't really happen. I mean, it's better than the alternative of sitting back and just letting Burrow pick you apart with his wide receivers, but they couldn't get to Joe Burrow. They had one sack late in the game, but other than that, they couldn't get to him. Uh, And what I think is remarkable, Blake, I saw this stat going into the game, Joe Burrow had been sacked the fourth most times in the NFL. Kansas City had the fifth most sacks in the NFL. So you would think that Kansas City would have been able to get to Joe Burrow. Like their chops. They weren't able to. That's a concern. Yeah, it is. And Joe Burrow, you know, I'm not saying that this is on Patrick Mahomes at all. Don't take it that way. But Joe Burrow was the better quarterback in this game. And Joe Burrow has I think in all three of these games that we're talking about, Joe Burrow has been better than Patrick Mahomes over the 40 minutes, and he's been better in the last five minutes than Patrick Mahomes has been in all these games. I mean, in this game, his quarterback rating was about 30 points higher than Patrick Mahomes, 25 for 31, 286, two touchdowns, no interceptions, and most importantly, you talk about not getting to the quarterback, the Chiefs turned it over once, Cincinnati didn't, and the Chiefs, could not get Cincinnati stopped on third down. The Bengals were 7-4-11 on third down. And when the Chiefs have a lead, they still, you know, they did run the ball 25 times for 138 yards. And Isaiah Pacheco did have a decent game running. Jarek McKinnon came in, ran the ball a few times and was effective. The averages were good, but you just don't have that pounding back, that Christian Okoye or the Priest Holmes, the guy that you can feel like, you know what, we're going to give this ball to this guy like they had with Kareem Hunt that you felt like, you know what, Kareem Hunt could just get us 100 yards at any time. And in the late game, even when the opponent knows that the run is coming, we're just going to be able to run this clock out and just advance the sticks, get first downs, keep the clock moving, and keep us in third and short just by running the football. They have not been able to do that. And you're right, defensively, Joe Burrow just didn't really ever feel like he was in any kind of duress. Yeah, let me ask you this. Outside of Chris Jones, is there anybody on that defense that you think would strike fear in the heart of a quarterback? Uh, I don't think I don't think there is. I mean, I Nick honestly Bolton don't think there is. is a, I think Nick Bolton is a good defensive player, but I don't think of him as really a pass rusher. 
I don't think even as a sacker. One Thornhill has had some good games this year for Kansas City, but again, I don't think of him necessarily as a sacker. The Chiefs haven't got Willie Gay's a good run stopper. He's not really a a sacker. Um, Frank Clark. I mean, what do you want to say about him? I think George Karloftis could be that guy eventually, but really outside of of Chris Jones. There's not, I don't feel like anybody defensively. Carlos Dunlap had a couple of nice plays, the veteran, but yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I'm not concerned in the regular season, but if you were to rank like the top three teams in the AFC right now, it's clearly Buffalo, Cincinnati, Kansas city. I'm not ranking them in order. Sure. I'm just saying those are the top three teams, but if you are to rank their defenses, both teams, Buffalo and Cincinnati, I would argue have better defenses than Kansas City does. That's clearly an Achilles heel of this Chiefs team. Agreed, yeah. I mean, we've talked so many times about how the expected points, that defensive metric, how negative the Chiefs have been. They were negative 19.8 expected points from that defense. It was their worst statistic performance of the year. They've only had three positive games. That was when they lost to the Colts, when they beat the Titans in overtime, when they beat the Rams. And they played very well defensively against the Rams. So that was what I think, you know, because we both are very, very, I don't know if we're as high on Herbert as we are Burrow, but we both like Herbert a lot for the Rams. And they did a I mean, the Chargers. Oh, yeah, sorry. The the Chargers a couple of weeks ago. They both did a really good job, we thought, on on the Chargers on on the 20th. And they, you know, the Rams are a mess this year and and only scored 10 points. But... You know, you you thought that, yeah, gosh, maybe they're going to turn things around, but the defense has kind of just played well against the bad offenses. Colts don't have a good offense. Well, yeah, Rams don't have a good offense, and the Titans are not are they're they're doing what they're doing on their defense, not their offense. Yeah, and you you dial in a little bit more into the secondary, and uh, the, I think the two games that the Chiefs played the best in the secondary. The Rams and the Titans, and it, you're gonna play well when you're playing the Rams, who are they started Bryce Perkins throwing <laughs> the football to Ben Skoranek, or you're playing the Titans, and it's Malik Willis throwing the football to like their third string tight end. Yeah, Willis has uh, got yeah, doe yeah. eyes that are like this big, and you know, is a deer of in headlights. Course. Of the Rams course, guy, Trip McDuffie, Rams quarterback was too. Yeah, at least Trent McDuffie and uh, Juan Thornhill and, and Jordan Reed, of course those guys are going to look better. good and salivate. It's a little bit different when you're facing off against Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, and T. Higgins. Without a doubt. So next up for the Chiefs, they've got a Sunday night matchup on, well, I, that game's been flexed, hasn't it? Yeah, flexed out. It's an afternoon yeah, game. Th- uh, not Nobody in America wants to watch the Broncos. Yeah, uh, so that, that game got flexed out of Sunday night yeah, football. Yeah, pro football reference. Uh, I was looking, it says it still has it at the Sunday night time. Like, no, I don't think so. Yeah, that's going to be a 3.30 start. I think they got moved to CBS. Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson couldn't even beat the Ravens when Lamar Jackson left the game and Tyler Huntley was the quarterback. And the Broncos scored nine points. I wanted to ask you nine. one thing. Um, how do we feel through week 13 about this uh, Frank Clark signing, re-signing for the Chiefs? Because he's got 2.5 sacks right now on the year. Um, I, I think it was a waste of money, and I think that you could have went out and drafted somebody to have the more impact. And they kind of did. Or George Karloftis, they brought him in. Or they could have. Uh, I don't know if that would have made much of a difference. Maybe but I think didn't. that you could have easily replaced his production at a much lower price point. 
Yeah, that, that doesn't feel. I mean, I know that you know guys in the NFL they can just be cut. They, it doesn't matter. You you know they throw players in the trash can every time. It you know I get all that, but yeah, that feels like a colossal waste right now. So three thirty against Denver coming up next week. That is it. But we do have one last thing that we do want to get to today. It is time for perhaps your favorite segment of the show as we hit the music. Time for our Wichita Whip Round, a story from around the Wichita area that maybe you have missed going into this week or over the last couple of weeks. Tommy, what is your Whip Around? Yeah, breaking news as of today. I don't know if you saw this, Blake. I bet I know what you're talking about. Yep. Wichita Wind Surge, they have sold the team to a new ownership group. Uh, I believe it's called Diamond Baseball Holdings is the name of the new ownership group. Uh, They own several minor league franchises around the country, including the Oklahoma City Dodgers uh, in AAA. That's the closest team to Wichita. But they have purchased the team, have confirmed the team will stay in Wichita, will stay playing at Riverfront Stadium. But one thing that they have not ruled out is potentially a name change. So that would be interesting. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Very interesting. Uh, But it looks like that sale uh, will be finalized by the end of the year. And uh, it looks like most of the the staff and management will remain minus CEO Jordan Kobritz will no longer be with the team. I so far, and we can talk a little bit more this while the bed music plays, but I've liked everything that I have heard so far about this. This is a company that has been kind of on a purchasing spree. They own several other, I think they own the Iowa Cubs. I think they have a team in Oklahoma. I think this is going to be their 10th minor league baseball team. So this is a company that this is what they do. They specialize in minor league baseball. And one thing that they said in the article in the Wichita Eagle, which I encourage you guys to go and read for more information, is that this is not a cookie cutter type of a situation. They are hyper local, hyper focused on being local, and they want to make something that is for Wichita. And the other thing that I thought that they talked about that I really liked was we need to get use out of this stadium. We have this stadium. They feel like it has been underutilized. That's mainly why they wanted the team was because they feel like the stadium is not being used. Now, what happens to all that land we gave that group for a dollar? Boy, that's looking absolutely insanely stupid and irresponsible right now because they apparently just get to keep that land and are just sitting on it doing nothing. Do nothing with it, yeah. Absolutely nothing. But I will say that I think this is a great move. Um, and, and, you know, I've, I, I wondered whether or not I would say this or not, but there have been a lot of broken promises with this Windsurge franchise oh, since they came to Wichita. And a lot of that is well, the NBC is going to have the, a place here. Huh, right. huh, huh, huh. A lot of that is due to the untimely death of Lou Schweckheimer. Um, and, and so a lot of those things were not fulfilled. Uh, with with the group that currently owns the team and and we're talking about concerts we're talking about all these other things that were supposed to happen with that stadium uh, and then just the overall um, you know you've got a world-class stadium uh, one of the best in in America in minor league baseball and a city that's hungry for that kind of sport uh, to be in Wichita and just things were not handled no. Uh, always the way that they should have been handled. So I'm optimistic, cautiously optimistic, and hopeful that this new group will come in and actually fulfill what the community expects of them because that's what they need. Not only do I like that, but they also say they want to make it affordable for the whole family, 
Cheaper prices, not this 8% ticket markup for no reason. So stupid. Uh, my Wichita whip around story will be Clee Anthony Early, former All-American for Wichita State men's basketball. He is currently in the Taiwan T1 League, and he just set the scoring record, a career-high 56 points, as he helped his team to a 112-108 win. He is currently the hero and the best player on the Taiwan Beer Hero Bears. All right. One of the best names. You you cannot beat Asian professional franchise names. You've got all these great names in the Japanese baseball leagues. And is there a better name? Why why don't we rename it to the Wichita the, like Wichita Brewing Company Hero Bears? That would be a great I would, name. I would totally be on board with that. I'm totally down. I feel like the uh, I had a friend message me about the name. I said I'm not sure that it's the right marketing move because you've got all this wind surge stuff out there. Going to be very costly, but the wind surge name was not that popular. And I said, you know, um, I, I feel like they can make a better name. I don't think it would be that hard to do a better name. And my friend actually quipped back to me and said, No, I have faith in humanity. They can absolutely come up with something worse. So we'll we will yeah. see. Maybe it will stay as wind surge. Maybe it will not. Uh, anything that we messed up as we get to our additions, corrections, and retractions today, Tommy? No, I don't think we messed anything up. I do have a really quick addition that was going to be my Wichita whip around, uh, but got kicked to the curb with the, the wind surge news. A quick update on the Wichita Thunder. Uh, playing really, really good hockey right now. They're 11-6-2 uh, to start the season. In sec- they're in second place in the division. Uh, and, and so it's been a great start so far. Um, been a handful of players that have been called up already uh, to the, the AHL, the San Jose team there. Uh, and then just, uh, I, I don't know if you read, uh, we talked about Taylor Eldridge a couple times in the show. We have. Uh, he wrote an article uh, that came out today, actually, about Evan Beitenheis, the goalkeeper for the Thunder. Uh, who was an all-star last year in the ECHL. Uh, He recorded his first shutout of the season on Sunday against the Kansas City Mavericks as the Thunder won three to nothing. So it was a sweep uh, this weekend of Kansas City that the Thunder had. Uh, And they go on a a road trip for the next couple of weeks. They'll be back right before Christmas. But a good start to the season so far for the Thunder. Without a doubt, and a good 2022 for us. So that is going to wrap us for the year. We are going to be off for the Christmas and holiday break. So glad. Glad that you have been joining us. Sorry for the week delay, but we will have this episode out for you. Thank you so much for everybody who's liked, shared, subscribed the show here as we wrap up the 2022 calendar year. Once again, we are back that second week of January, and we'll have football talk, ton of football talk, probably be all football as we will get you up to date. We will check in on the Shockers, but as I said, KU has a bowl game. Kansas State is in the Sugar Bowl, and the Chiefs are going to the playoffs, and we'll have an update on the playoff picture when we come back. Of course, at CogPod on Twitter is the place that you want to find the show. Tommy, for our beloved audio listeners, where can they find you on Twitter? Yeah, you can follow me anytime on Twitter at Tweets from Tommy. And I am at B.E. Cripps, B.E. Cripps on Twitter. That's it for 2022. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year from Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. 
Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod.